It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Light it up on a Monday, Monday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live. We are local. We are digital on the Horn app at thehornfm.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe, Horns 24-7, horns247.com, at jeffhowe247 on Twitter. You can also get the Longhorn Blitz podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. You click that follow button, get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesday. We'll record that thing tomorrow. No Craig today. Craig is taking care of THSCA business. That is the Texas High School Coaches Association taking care of, I believe it's the Leadership Summit he's emceeing today in the Metroplex. But he'll be back to call the Texas Baylor women's game tonight. Uh, We'll talk about the Texas Baylor men's game that took place over the weekend. Texas women getting a big win. Texas baseball. Series went over Indiana, but could have gone better. And... Plenty of other stuff coming up on the show today. Specs text line is open 337-3776. Craig is not here, but behind the glass, uh, the real MVP of Light the Tower. If it was not for him, uh, this show would be terrible because I would not be able to get it on the air, and he makes sure everything runs smoothly at the controls. Cameron Parker. Cameron, how are you doing today? Jeff, that's a very, very kind introduction. I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I'm good. How was your weekend? Pretty chill. Not a lot Sorry of sports for that noise, watching. everybody. I forgot to put my windscreen on my microphone, so that's the rustling you're hearing. But we're good. Set Sorry. Away, set away from the TV for most of the weekend, Jeff. Kinda Did you? Took a little break. A lot, a lot of sports the last couple months with a lot going on. So I, I enjoyed uh, – kept up with Texas, unfortunately. Watched a little bit of the Baylor game, and I think the second half was enough for me. Turned it off about <laughs> maybe about the 12-minute mark after that big Baylor run. And I was like, ah, you know what? Horns beat OU. Probably going to win the Big 12, at least in the women's side. That, that's good enough for me. I'm going to go out and enjoy my weekend. Yeah. Um, so we had my daughter's birthday party on uh, Saturday, which is why I was not in Waco for the game. And got home to watch the second half. You know, I put my I was checking the score on my phone, and I think at last check, I think it was like Texas was up, I want to say 18 to 4 maybe. Yep. And I'm like, all right, things are, things are going well for the Bevos at this point. And then I look, we get in the car, like we get everything cleaned up, packed up, leaving New Braunfels to head back to the house. And I know it's the score, and it's Baylor's up two at halftime. I'm like, the hell happened? So I get home in time to watch the second half of the game, and my wife asks me later, she says, what's the final score? I'm like, I don't know, because I changed the channel and started watching baseball with like two minutes left. So didn't even really care at that point. Rough. Rough outing for the Longhorns. We'll hear from Rodney Terry coming up in just a minute. Again, Specs text line is open, 337-3776. Always taking your submissions here on the show. Always appreciate the feedback. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's always good to hear from the listening audience here on the show today. Um, Jim from Lago Vista. This is probably the most disappointing thing of the weekend. Cameron, and, and let me know how disappointing this is. 
I did not make it to Cocaine Bear this weekend. I tried. The effort was put in, but logistically with the schedule, it just did not work, especially having to cover Texas baseball yesterday. And by the time I got out of there, my wife made dinner last night. I'm like, you know, I could really aggravate my wife and on the way home just stop off and get this you know, late afternoon, early evening showing of Cocaine Bear. But I cho- I think I chose wisely. Didn't want to aggravate the wife, so just decided, you know what, Cocaine Bear will be there for another day. But, Cameron, I have heard the reviews. Now, I, you know what, here's what I hate about when a movie like Cocaine Bear comes out. And by the way, I'm not doing a bit, people. Like, I really am excited about this. But I feel the same way about Cocaine Bear as I feel like about the Fast and the Furious franchise, which I also love. Okay. You've got to leave your you got to leave seriousness at the door. Yeah. You know, you got to go in there, suspend disbelief a little bit, you know? Because if you're going to Cocaine Bear expecting to see a masterpiece, I, I don't, that's a you problem at that point. You that's, should know what you're getting into ahead of time. I saw the, the Fast, what's the new one called? Fast 30? Uh, Fast X? Fast, Fast X? Fast X comes out. Uh, yeah, did you see the trailer for that? I think that so, comes out in May. Watching the trailer, I think I saw it when I went to go see um, Ant-Man. It was like, one, I've, I've never seen a, a single Fast and Furious movie. Are you serious? And my goal is to make it to my death without seeing any of them. Because Come they, on, they look, Cam. I, watching the trailer, I mean, the, the there's an airplane towing the car with Finn Diesel in it, and he somehow gets away from it. Jeff, I mean, I was trying to suspend think. disbelief, but... I think, it, I want to say it was... I'm trying to think of when the franchise like completely jumped the shark. And I want to say it was maybe Fast Five. I think that was the one where they that was the one set in Brazil where they steal the rich guy's money and they're pulling the safe down the freeway. That was the one where you're like, all right, this is getting a little uh it's getting a little out there. And when then, the rock came in, that's when it probably Yeah, pretty okay. much. That's that's when it started to jump the shark and then by the sixth movie, yeah, it just it was it was out of control. At that point, so but like honestly, like the first Fast and Furious movie, the one that came out in two thousand one. See, I say it's a good movie, but Cameron, you're a lot younger than I am, so I don't know. Like, and I know this is a touchy subject in Austin right now. Like, it gets into really that street racing world, and like it's legit, like real. Like you can you go through that whole movie saying, okay, there was stuff in this movie that I could realistically see happening in just random town USA. But, like, the first I Tokyo Drift I could do without, but, like, the first three of the first four movies were, I thought, actually good, watchable, palatable films. When you got to five, things started going off the rail. Then by the time you got to six, I'm like, all right, we're in, like, uh, we're in we're in Rambo 3 territory now. Just I got to know what I'm getting. I just I have to just, you know, recalibrate my brain, get my head right for what I'm about to walk into. So I can watch the first four and be like, okay, this is actual cinema. So I'll just stop at Fast Five then, is what you're saying? Um, the Okay, the first two for sure. Uh, Tokyo Drift, uh, you can, it's, uh, Tokyo Drift, you can flip a coin. That was okay. the third one. I thought the fourth movie was really good. The fifth one's not bad. The fifth one I like, but it's just, you start realizing about halfway through, well, actually not halfway through, there's a, Scene where the Vin Diesel and Paul Walker take a dive off of a cliff and survive it, and you're, that's when you're like, okay, I think this franchise is maybe jumping the shark a little bit. So again, just gotta recalibrate expectations, and you're fine. But I, I think the I think you'll like the first one. Okay, I actually I actually want you to watch it because I want to see for somebody younger than I. What year were you born? 
97. You were born in 97, so you were four or five years old when that movie came out. So I want to see if a movie, like this is this is one of those deals like people older than me, they're like, oh man, you got to watch like, I don't know, pick a movie, Breakfast Club or Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And they're like, oh man, it's a great movie. And I'm like, it's good, but it, it probably it had its time and place. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if like a movie like that came out when I was a junior in high school, so I was all about it, right? Everybody wanted to be Vin Diesel and get big spoilers on their car, even though nobody could afford it, and you know, put like the the glow kits under their cars and whatnot. Um, See, I was the huge. big dreams out in Florence, America. I was huge in the racing games: Need for Speed, uh, Midnight Club, L.A., Burnout Paradise. So I, I love the racing aspect of it. Now I'm not even close to being a, a racer. The most action I get is watching F1. Did you, get into, did you get into, did you go through a Grand Theft Auto phase at all? A little bit. Um, the last one, but I had the Xbox 360. Yeah, it took seven days for it to actually download on my console. Jeez. I had to buy a new hard drive, and I was like, you know, is this even worth it at this point? So, did not get. Oh, I didn't play. What's San Andreas was the one before that? Uh, GTA Three on PlayStation Two. Okay. One of my one of my favorite games ever. Yeah. Five was the only one I played, but apparently they're going to make a new one that may or may not come out in our lifetime. Real, yeah. Is that is that going to be like the uh, Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy album that was like fifteen years <laughs> after the fact when it finally came out? You Guns N' Roses fan? Oh yeah, yeah. saw them at ACL a few years ago. How was that? It was good. It was good. Uh, Nick from San Angelo, we'll get to your question about Texas and the number one overall running back in the country. We'll do that in our Longhorn Notebook coming at the bottom of the hour. we got a Longhorn Notebook at the bottom of this hour, one at the bottom of next hour. Cam's going to have your flex update, uh, inconceivable. So your standard Monday fair. So Cam, Ice Cream Maine uh, wants to know, did you have your own darkness retreat this weekend? Is that what it amounted to? No, I actually got some sunlight. Did you play some golf this weekend? I went to the driving range. Okay. I did. What's, see, your, like, what's your driving range of choice? Uh, Forest Creek. Okay. Wall Street Golf Club, uh, great, great facility, great golf course. First time I, I've swung a golf club twice in the last year, so that so was. When, I time. just want people to know when you're out in Gin Pop golfing, where they can find you. Yeah, that's fine. Come up and heckle, heckle my golf swing. You, yeah. you can max homo roast my swing because God knows I need some work on it. Yes, Jim from Longo Vista, happy wife, happy life. I did choose wisely. Uh, this person says the second Fast and Furious that would be too fast, too furious. That was Paul Walker and Tyrese. With Ludacris as a Ludacris made his debut in the series in uh, the second movie, and they've all sucked through it, right? By the way, um, for you Yellowstone fans, the guy that plays Rip in Yellowstone is the uh, the villain in uh, the second Fast and Furious movie. So, just something to file away for you Yellowstone fans that haven't seen it. Cam, uh, this texture said they're worth you on Fast and Fast and Furious franchise way too cheesy. Chance that I'm a hundred percent aligned with Cameron. I've not seen any of the Fast Cars or Mission Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible Ooh. just doesn't do a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of. Okay, so are you out on that entire genre, Jeff, or are you just out on Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible? I I don't know. I mean, maybe just the TV show was way before my time. It just didn't. It just doesn't do a whole lot for me. Okay, I think they're good films. I think kind of like Fast and Furious after. Maybe the third or fourth one, it just turned into okay. Let's what's the craziest stunt Tom Cruise can do, and actually film it and make it a big part of the movie. Because <laughs> did you watch the Twitter video? Because in this new one coming out, he does this motorcycle jump off this mountain that turns into him sky gliding or hang gliding or paragliding. One of the glidings. A motorcycle jump into a paragl- uh, hang gliding. Something like okay. that. And they released like a ten minute documentary on how he filmed it, and it's incredible because he actually. Did it himself. Does his the own amount stunts. of work it takes. It took you know like months for him to actually do this one I, uh, scene. I enjoyed Top Gun Maverick. I said I think the Maverick is better than the original, but 
Still Jones. haven't seen Maverick. Uh, Longhorn Bear says Fast and the Furious jumped the shark uh, when all the enemies came together as friends to fight in Russia. I think it jumped it way before that. Longhorn Bear, but I still enjoy it. Yes, Fast and the Furious did once upon a time go to uh, outer space. Uh, Texture says Tokyo Drift is one of the best movies of the series. Uh, what kind of Fast and Furious fan are you, Jeff? Ah, it just, it, it's okay. It's just not. It's not my cup of tea. You know, I was kind of out of the the, the two the two non Vin Diesel films. I, I won't say I was out on both of them, but I liked them for what they were. And Tokyo Drift is further down on my list. Says you don't have to apologize, Jeff. We all know uh, what the Fast and Furious franchise is. They were exciting and a lot of action. To quote my late father, uh, I just like my action movies where there's a lot, of, and I'm gonna definitely pg this up where there's a lot of fighting and a lot of stuff gets blown up that's all i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty low maintenance when it comes to action movies all you got to give me is a bunch of fighting a bunch of stuff getting blown up that's why i'm a big fan of the steven seagal direct to dvd movies back when those were a thing like 10 15 years ago uh tokyo drift is one of the better see a lot of tokyo drift fans all right bebop says he went and saw cocaine bear or they went and saw cocaine bear i'm not sure if you're a sir or madam so i apologize uh, went and saw Cocaine Bear after hearing you talk about it all last week. I'm bummed you missed out. I think you'll enjoy it when you finally get around to seeing it. It's fun, silly, bloody, and hilarious. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I would want Cocaine Bear to be. So it sounds like it was everything that uh, I was planning on it being. So I will get out to see Cocaine Bear at some point. But enough about Cocaine Bear and Fast and the Furious and everything else. We've got to talk about Texas and Baylor Longhorns. Come up short against the Bears on Saturday. Texas now uh, back in second place, Kansas, in sole position of first place in the Big 12 standings, coming off of the Longhorns dropping an 81-72 decision to the Bears at the Farrell Center on Saturday. And after it was over, Craig Way and Eddie Orton caught up with Texas interim head coach Rodney Terry. One of those games where uh, – when everything could go right, it did for them, and could go wrong, and some good open looks that didn't fall, and then uh, also some just some unfortunate things that didn't work out. Well, I thought we got off to a great start. I mean, we, we did a great job taking care of the ball early. Our defense was really good early to start the ball game and really got us a lead uh, to start the game. I think what we really start, you know, having some issues is when we turn the ball over. We turn the ball over. We let our offense kind of slow us down and bog us down a little bit, and then it affected us a little bit on the defensive end. And this time of year, you know, we have to we have to have a short memory. If we're not scoring on offense, we you know not getting done on that end. We gotta still sit down and get stops and continue to go. We can't let it change the way we go out on defense. You've been coaching a long time. You've seen this happen with teams where uh, a guy gets injured on one side and guys step up for them. And and Keontae George, I'm sure they want to lose him, but. Dale Bonner uh, and Langston Love really stepped in the field of gap for them on both ends of the floor. Well, we knew we were prepared for Love coming in and doing what he, he he plays really well at home. We knew that he shoots the ball really well at home, a lot better than on the road. Bonner made some shots tonight. He's not really a shooter, he's playing more as a, as a non-shooter. He made a couple threes tonight, and if God makes those kind of shots, then we got to just tap him and tip our hat to him because that's not what he does. Ronnie, what's your schedule going forward to TCU? Will you give him a day off tomorrow, or how how will you work with? Yeah, we'll stay in our regular routine. I mean, you know, obviously uh, we're disappointed with, with, uh, with the outcome of this game, but we'll we'll stay in our uh, same routine that we've had all year long and uh, uh, try to prepare for a really good TCU team on the road. Ronnie, what's the key for guys? Your team has not lost two in a row this season. What's the key to, to being able to shake that off and to bounce back and be ready for the next one? Well, in this league, you better have a short memory. Everybody's really good. I mean, you know, if you sit there and have a hangover and you're still worried about what happened in the last ball game, and that carryovers into practice, carries over into the next game, and you can't do that in this league. 
so often in Big 12 games, Cameron, we see it come down to a physicality battle, like whoever's the more physical team is going to win. That's just the nature of the beast in this league. And you start looking at Texas, you start looking at some of the shooting numbers. I mean, you go 45% from the field, you go 37% from three, make 10 to 27. I mean, those are numbers that are going to keep you in a lot of games. The the statistical areas where you see Texas lose this game, rebounding is one of them. Uh, Texas finished the game minus 8 uh, in in rebounding. Or, I'm sorry, minus 12 in rebounding to Baylor. Got out-rebounded 37-25. Uh, bench scoring is another. I mean, that's something that Texas has prided itself on. And, and you talk to – you hear coaches around the league talk about what stands out about Texas in terms of strength. I mean, they'll tell you their bench. They're really deep. Uh, Texas had 12 bench points. All 12 of them were by Jabari Rice. Nobody else on the bench scored on Saturday. As a matter of fact, Arterio Morris uh, played four minutes, didn't attempt a field goal. Brock Cunningham and Christian Bishop combined 0 for 2 from the field in Jabari Rice with your only bench points. You got outscored 29-12 in bench scoring, and that's Bonner coming up and having a big game, Love coming through and having a big game. I don't know. It almost felt like Baylor – I don't want to say Baylor, Baylor's not a better team without Keontae George, but it almost felt like Dale Bonner and Langston Love were ready to answer the call when George went out. Like they were, yeah. almost, it's almost like they were prepared for one of those guards to not be in the lineup. And those two guys played out of their minds on Saturday. So I look at rebounding, I look at bench scoring as two really big statistical areas where Texas lost this game. The other area, Cameron, where the physicality battle shows up, free throw differential. Are you getting to the line? Are, are you forcing the issue? Are you getting downhill? Are you attacking? Are you getting the defense on their heels? Texas went 8 of 12 from the line. Baylor, 22 of 29. And on the road, on the road, you know how it is. Not This isn't a Big 12 thing. This is any, any league in the country. On the road, you really have to force the issue and be the aggressor because you've got to count on not getting your share of calls on the road. That's just That's just the nature of the beast. So... Nine-point loss for the Bevos on Saturday. Cameron, any thoughts, either stuff I just said or stuff you've uh, got on your own to kind of put a cap on this one? Yeah, I thought Texas started out really well. The knock against Rodney Terry and the Horns this year have been, well, they kind of start slow on offense, begin games. They get down by double digits, and they have to rally, and sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. 14-point lead to start, I think it's what everyone wanted, and it was a great start. The shots just stopped falling for Texas. Marcus Carr did not shoot the ball well. You mentioned the bench scoring, which was there was nothing outside of Serge Jabari Rice. And then Tyrese Hunter and Mitchell and Hunt, and even Timmy Allen, I mean, 12 points, but he didn't, it wasn't Timmy Allen. And it felt like right. Baylor became more and more aggressive as the game went on. They got into the rhythm even after George went out. And they, they played like the better team, I thought, Jeff, on Saturday. Doesn't mean that going forward, Texas isn't better than Baylor. But it just seems Texas gets these couple wins and then they just, there's, they're one win away from putting together a really good win streak that would put them up to the top of the Big 12 or the number one seed where Texas wants to be. But it feels like this loss basically takes them out of the running for a number one seed at all unless they can end the season with wins against TCU, Kansas, and then run the table in the conference tournament. But it feels like – I think they would have to get to the to the Big 12 tournament championship. Yeah, right. And, and win it, seed, yeah. it seems like a two or three seed is inevitable for the Texas, but – just frustrating that it looked like at the beginning of the game this was a Texas team that was going to beat Baylor. It just couldn't make any shots. And you mentioned the the three throw discrepancy. I mean, twenty nine to twelve. Good lord. Yeah, Chan mentions turnovers. Texas won the turnover battle. As bad as Texas turned the ball over, they won the turnover battle. Baylor turned it over twenty one times. 
Texas had 15 turnovers. But you look at points off turnovers, Baylor turned those 15 Texas turnovers into 20 points. Texas, 16 points off of 21 Baylor turnovers. Baylor did a better job of maximizing those Texas turnovers into scoring opportunities at the other end. So Texas loses. uh, Like Cam just said, they'll get TCU coming up later this week and then close out the regular season on Saturday at home uh, against Kansas. Cam, do you have a chance to watch any of the uh, Kansas-West Virginia game? I did not. After Texas Baylor was open. Man, I, I give it to Bob Huggins' crew. They they got down, came back, hung around in the second half, gave themselves a chance to win. But that game, and there's been, you know, I, I remember TCU Baylor was one of these, and there's been a couple others. I'm almost convinced that either coaches in college basketball do a really poor job of managing their time going through in-game situations, or players just brain fart during in-game situations and fail to execute whatever it was, because there's no way that, uh, you know, just a, a reckless drive down the lane and getting called for an offensive foul is probably not what Bob Huggins drew up for the end of regulation, but that's what happened in, you know, West Virginia ended up falling short. Or a game that, honestly, they had a chance, definitely had a chance to send in an overtime and had a chance to go win. But uh, that uh, win for Kansas, coupled with the Texas loss, like we said, KU in sole possession of first place. I, I got to think, Cameron, whoever wins the Big 12 regular season, whether it's Kansas or Texas, depending on how things play out over these next two games, the winner of the Big 12 regular season is getting a one seed in the tournament. Yeah, KU's got to be a lock, right? They're pretty close. I mean, I think unless they just drop their last two and, and fall out of favor. Because uh, Arizona losing at the buzzer over the weekend, which was incredible to Arizona State, that that hurts Arizona chances. You still have Alabama and Houston, who you imagine are going to be one seeds, and then Purdue probably so Kansas, also one seed. Kansas hosts Texas Tech tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If Kansas wins that game, they guarantee themselves at least a share of the conference Big title. Goal, yeah. So I think as long as they – as long as they win one of their last two and get a share of the title, like if they beat Tech tomorrow, I think you can pretty much lock it up to Kansas will yeah. be the number one seed. When you look at it at that point, I think they would have – got to check and check the net. I'm pretty sure Tech would qualify as a quad one win. But what have 12 quad wins? I, know, I think it's 15 quad one wins. They lead the country at this point in quad one victory. So, yeah, I would think Kansas is pretty much a, a lock for a number one seed right now. As a matter did. of fact, here I've got the, the net pulled up right now. Kansas, as of this morning – Sixth in the net rankings, fifteen. They're fifteen and five in quad one games. Texas, by the way, tenth in the net rankings. I think Texas. You're probably looking at, depending on how things shake out, either a two or a three. At and this with point for Texas, Tech's loss against TCU on Saturday, which was a great game. Love watching Tech lose at the very end. Shout out Mike <laughs> Miles. They're out, right? They got to be out. Tech, uh, Tech, I think is in that boat now of got to win the Big Twelve tournament to get in because they were Lunardi's first four out going into that game. Now, if they won, that would have been a huge win. But they lost, so. Yeah, Jerry Palm has not updated his bracket yet. Uh, Jerry Palm has not done his. Actually, it Jerry Palm's just updated. So, Jerry Palm, his first four out. Actually, his last four in, he's got two Big 12 teams among his last four in. His last four in are Mississippi State, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia First four out, Michigan, Penn State, North Carolina, Arizona State, among the first four out. We might get a tournament with UNC out. That's that's kind of hilarious considering they were in the Final Four last year. Potentially. And they were ranked number one at a, at a point in the season, Jeff. How, how's this grab you, Cam? Uh, Jerry Palm right now has Texas as a two seed in the Midwest region okay. with U of H as the one. Mm-hmm. 
The seven ten game, which by the way, he's got Texas playing in Denver in the first round. It sounds like it's either going to be Denver or Birmingham. The way Texas is playing right now. The seven ten in that region. The ten seed USC taking on the seven seed Texas A and M. Ooh, A&M you, and you Texas. could get Longhorns Aggies with a trip to the Sweet Sixteen on the line in Denver. And Aggies have been playing some. You know, cover your ears, yeah. Longhorn fans. They've been playing good basketball after their horrendous start, like oh, the, like their baseball Brutal. team. Horrendous, laughable. <laughs> You're thinking, are they going to have to fire Jimbo and Buzz? And now it's like, uh, it might be Buzz a Sweet Willi- Sixteen. Buzz Williams got that thing turned around for yeah. sure. Uh, by the way, Aggie baseball losing to Lamar in the midweek and then dropping a series to Portland. You hate to see it, especially after all the trash talking they were doing after Texas got swept in their opening season or opening series of the yeah. season, rather. So I'm, I'm, I'm before we hit the break, just looking at Jerry Palm's latest bracket projections in terms of the Big 12 teams. Uh, in the South region, let's see, he's got Iowa State in as a 6, Kansas State as a 2. I mentioned Texas is in there as a 2 seed in the Midwest regional. Out West, uh, doesn't uh, Baylor is the 3 seed in the West. So basically, so far, Iowa State's the only one that's not a top 3 seed in a region. How about Shaka and Marquette projected two seed right now? Uh, and obviously K- team. K- KU is the one, and then playing in that first four, he's got Oklahoma State and West Virginia. So, yeah, I would think at this point uh, Tech is in that that, cr- that cluster of teams with uh, with Oklahoma. Uh, TCU also – actually, I take that back. Tech, uh, TCU is a sixth seed in the Midwest region with Texas. So you could have Texas needing to get through A&M. In this projected bracket, it would be Texas needing to get through A&M and then TCU to maybe possibly get to an elite eight where you could face Houston in the elite eight. So that's boy, that's running the that's trying to win the Southwest Conference tournament, Cam, to get to the Final Four. So out of the top four that would be seeds, fun to see. I think I would rather I probably Arizona would be the team I would want to face the most. Stay away see, from Kansas because they're nasty. Houston, it, it's hard with Houston. And see, Arizona. Jerry Palm, Jerry Palm right now has Arizona as a three. Oh, he's got them all the way down at the three. So that line. loss really dropped them down. Yeah. So your top eight seeds right now, the ones are. This is for this is going to Jerry Palm, Bama, Houston, Purdue, Kansas are your ones. K State, Texas, Marquette, UCLA are your twos. K State, wow. K State is a two. Who does Kansas State close with? Because if they can finish the season strong, because they were starting to tail off there a little bit. Jeff they had a big win against. They lost to Tech, right? Lost to Tech last week, and then rebounded against Oklahoma State on the road on Saturday. That was a pretty big win. And I so think Kansas they, is going to – Kansas K-State's got a pretty favorable schedule. They're going to host Oklahoma Wednesday, and then on Saturday they're at West Virginia, which at that point probably a must-win game. Not probably. It is a must-win game for West Virginia to stay on the bubble. If they win those two, that's probably – they're going to be locked in for a top three seed. Right? I would think so, yeah, regardless of what they do in, in Kansas City at that point. So a really good year for the Big 12 Texas – Probably looking at a two or three, depending on how things finish. But uh, the loss to Baylor did not help the Longhorns' chances for a one seed or getting an outright uh, claim to the Big 12 title. But we'll see what happens with the Longhorns this week. We'll hear, we heard from Rodney Terry. We'll hear from Vic Schaefer uh, coming up here later in the show. But after the break, we'll get to our first Longhorn notebook. And I want to talk a little Texas football. I'm going to pick Cam's brain. I shot a, a, little, a little Instagram reel. I think it might have made it on the Twitter machine for the Horn talking about guys that decided to come back. We're talking about the losses Texas had to the NFL draft, losing B. John Robinson, losing Roshan Johnson. He had an option to come back for another year. Let's talk about the guys that are coming back, decided to make one more decided to make one more run on the 40 acres, and who gains the most 
by coming back. We'll dig into that when we come back here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Webb and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. Rolling along on a Monday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker, no Craig Way. Craig is out today taking care of some THSCA business. That's an MCN event for the Texas High School Coaches Association. That's where Craig is today. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow. Also tonight, you can hear Craig on the call. He'll have Texas and Baylor on the women's side. Uh, big home game for Vic Schaefer and company after the win over Oklahoma on Saturday. That's 5.45 pregame, 6 o'clock tip on 105.3 The Bat. You can also uh, get over uh, to the Horn app, click the Longhorn button on the Horn app, the long, click the Longhorn basketball banner at hornfm.com to stream that game. But uh, 105.3 The Bat's the best way you're going to hear Texas women's basketball against Baylor tonight. All right, uh, you can get your Craig Way fix there, but right now you can get your Texas football fix in this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. And it is a Longhorn Notebook brought to you as all of our Longhorn Notebooks are brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your Longhorn lender. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown. Made that home loan process seamless. Made it easy. Took a big burden off of their plate. Uh, Craig has nothing but great things to say about the way Aaron and her team uh, handled everything for them on the home loan side. So that's Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert. Bowersockteam.com is where you need to go. All right. So, Cameron, I mentioned before the break that I, I shot one of those little uh, quickie videos that we're doing. Everybody's doing them, like, on the of the on-air staff. Have you done any of those yet? You've done a couple, haven't you? I, I have not. Um, right. I don't have any hot takes yet. Jacob wants the hot takes. Um, takes. Yeah, everybody wants the hot take. Well, I've, I've done a couple of them, and the, light, the latest one I did was I don't even know if it's up yet. Uh, I, with spring ball, by the way, Texas a week away from starting spring practice. Spring practice starts a week from today. Yes, sir. How awesome is that? Just getting right back into some gridiron stuff. I hate that time between the end of the season and the start of spring ball because there's really not a whole lot worth talking about at that point. But now we can start getting the stuff we're talking about. But the video I did, Cam, you know, we talk about the guys that Texas lost to the NFL draft. You know, B. John Robinson left early. Roshan had a year left. Moro Ajomo had a year left. Coburn could have come back. So there were some guys that opted to leave. I didn't even know Ovi Gofu had another year, but he went ahead and hit the portal and uh, transferred to LSU. But I wanted to look at five guys that decided to come back for one more year. I didn't include Jaron Thompson in this group because I felt like there really wasn't, and it's no disrespect to him, there really wasn't much of a decision to be made like you expected he was going to come back. I also didn't include Xavier Worthy. Maybe I should have, but he didn't hit the portal. He's back in the program. so We still can't. There's still time for him to hit the portal. So <laughs> True, true. Post-spring attrition is always a possibility, but no, it's uh, I say that in jest. But... I wanted to look at the five guys that decided to come back as I cleared my bubble throat there uh, and look at which one has the most to gain, which one can gain the most by coming back. So you've got Jordan Whittington, Christian Jones, Tavondre Sweat, Jalen Ford, and Ryan Watts. I, I'll go. I'll talk about my pick here in just a minute. Cameron, of those five, which guy do you think has the most to gain, can gain the most by deciding to come back to Texas for one more year. I would think Devondre Sweat. That's kind of where I was leaning initially because you're still going to have a really deep defensive tackle rotation because not only is Sweat back, 
Byron Murphy's back. Alfred Collins is back. Vernon Broughton's back. Are you going to have one of those young cats like Chris Ross or Zach Swanson or Aaron Bryant, one of those young cats emerge? Maybe Sidir Mitchell, you know, is an early enrollee, mm-hmm. gets in the mix as a true freshman. But Sweat, you need Tavondre Sweat to be a, a down-to-down war daddy. You need him to be yeah. a difference maker. It's his turn to sit at the head of the table. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. And granted, like, there's there aren't that many things more useless than, like, NFL draft projections that are going to come out after this draft is over. So, like, you'll see them, you know, probably the day after, the week after the draft is over. You'll see the 2024 projections. I wouldn't be surprised if Tavondre Sweat is a first-round pick in those projections. But that's the kind of year he can have. He can set himself up for that kind of year. You know, you look at the other guys, like Jordan Whittington, I think for him, and I think for Jalen Ford too, it's just can they pretty much replicate or slightly improve what they did last year? And for Whittington, it's, hey, can you put together another healthy, productive year? And I've got my thoughts on different ways Sark can use him, especially you know breaking in, some new blood at the running back position, and I'll get to that here in just a minute. But you know, break, you're breaking the new blood at the running back position. You're trying to figure out what your offensive identity is. Jordan Whittington's played running back. He understands how to play two and through contact, kind of similar to little Jordan Humphrey in that same vein. I would just like to see him be more involved in the offense, specifically in the running game. I think there's so much more you can do with him. So I think Whittington, it's being healthy and showing an expanded skill set. If you're Jalen Ford, I think it's just putting another year like he had last year on tape. Just stack one productive All-American caliber year on top of the other, and then go to the NFL where you're going to be a top 100 pick. And, you know, I I know off-ball linebacker is one of those positions like running back where the shelf life is shorter. But Jalen Ford, he's exactly what you look for in an off-ball linebacker in today's game. You know, not just one of these just jacked-up guys, you know, your 6'4", 250-pound Mike linebacker, which the, that that is an endangered species, that that is almost and, and virtually extinct. Uh, but really, when you think about a three down off ball linebacker, a guy that can is physical enough to be a C gap to C gap player, but can also drop in coverage, is athletic enough to play in man coverage, a true three down player uh, in today's space and pace spread world. Jalen Ford is one of those guys. So Whittington and Ford obviously gained something by coming back. I just don't think as much potentially a sweat. The other two guys I think are very interesting in that conversation. Ryan Watts is because I don't really know, Cam, where the NFL sees Ryan Watts' skill set. right? Like I don't know if they see him as a corner or if they see him as a safety. Because you watch him at corner and a lot of his skills, namely the physicality, his ability to come up and run support, some of that stuff you think translates to being able to fill the alley as a safety and do the things that safeties in the NFL are now required to do, and the fact that he's got the coverage skills and he's really good in man coverage, the NFL might just like him more as a safety. That said, I don't know how much scheme versatility he can show in this defense just because of his role. He's really good as that boundary corner in this defense. I just don't know how much scheme versatility he's going to be able to show off, and again, where does the NFL like him? Christian Jones is really interesting. Because I think what you got to remember about him, he was a guy that was late to the party just getting involved in football, period. Soccer background, uh, I think it was his sophomore or junior year in high school where he really started to dive into football, so it was kind of a late bloomer. Maybe, probably the best evaluation that Herb Hand had while he was the offensive line coach at Texas. Uh, and I'll, man, I say this all the time about Christian Jones. I'll never forget this. Cameron, you went, were you still student media when Texas played in the Sugar Bowl? Yes. Did you did you go on that trip? I was I not there. Okay. How did you not get the Sugar Bowl trip? 
I didn't apply for it. I I went to the Alamo Bowl. So here's my here's my reasoning. I thought the next year you're gonna laugh that Texas would be in the college football playoff. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna let the other classmates who were juniors at the time right. take this one. Next year I'll go to the one four matchup in Alabama the, versus the, Texas, the Fiesta Bowl or yeah. the Peach Bowl. Uh, instead, I was at the Alamo Bowl the fourth time. So. <laughs> uh, uh, love the people that run the Alamo Bowl. I hope we're not in San Antonio in December. Really hope that's not where this journey ends for the Longhorns in 2023. Please. Although it would be somewhat sadly poetic if Texas last year in the Big 12, they're back in the Alamo Bowl. It would, uh, it would be kind of funny. Like nobody, you would have to laugh. Yeah, you would. And nobody, nobody wants that, though. Nobody listening to this show, unless you're a, a Texas Tech or Baylor fan or TCU fan or fan of anybody else in the Big 12, nobody wants that. Uh, but Christian Jones, I remember being down in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl practices and watching the team work out in the Superdome. And Christian Jones had a 79 jersey on because he was uh, Isaiah Wilson on the scout team that week. Big offensive tackle for Georgia. By the way, I think, as I say, I don't even think Isaiah Wilson is in the league at this point. Uh, let me double check that. I think he's been cut multiple times. Yes, played one season with the Titans and has been cut by the Dolphins and Giants. But he was a first-round pick, just man with a guy 6'6", 350. And I remember looking at Christian Jones wearing that scout team jersey. I'm like, dude, that's, that's the way offensive tackles are supposed to look. Because he redshirted that year. We didn't see any of Christian Jones. I'm like, dude, this, this Christian Jones looks like he's got something. And it's been a slow burn with him. But last year, probably played – Best is a relative term. Definitely the most consistent football of his career moving back out to right tackle. Would you agree, Cam? Yeah, I think moving from the left side to the right side. And he talked about it with his hand-eye coordination. He just couldn't – just had issues on the left side versus the right. And look at the season he had. I don't think anyone expected this jump, and you got to credit Jones and the coaching staff for moving him over to where he needed to be. And, man, people might think of that, well, what's the big difference, right? If you're going from right tackle to left tackle, yeah, you've got the responsibility of you're protecting your quarterback's blind side when you go to left tackle. That's the franchise position. But switching to one tackle or the other, your your footwork is different, your, your kick slide is different, your hand placement is different, your punch is different, your timing is different. One position or the other, some guys are just better, more natural fits at right tackle. And I think that's where it is with Christian Jones. And I, I think he's got a chance. I'm not saying Christian Jones is going to end the 2023 season as a first-round pick, but I think he's got a chance to be in that draftable prospect conversation a year from now, depending yep. on the kind of year he has. But I'm kind of with you, Cam, when I, when I look at If I was ranking the guys in terms of who's got the most to gain, I would say Tavondre Sweat is one. Christian Jones is two, Ryan Watts is three, and then 4A and 4B are, are Whittington and Ford. Do you? Think, and I might even put Whittington slightly ahead of Jalen Ford, say Whittington's four, Ford is five. Jay White coming back because at the time it felt like Worthy was gone. We weren't sure how the receiver class was going to stack up. A.D. Mitchell hadn't transferred yet, so right. it felt like the receiving core was in a little bit of a – was in danger. But, of course, Witt comes back. He brings you know not only experience but also the leadership, and hopefully with – with Sark feeling more confident in the offensive line, the playbook will open up just a little bit more instead of just having two receiver sets. What can be out there with Nayer, who, you know, knock on wood, if you do that, if he can come back healthy, and of course, Worthy and possibly Casey Kane, Ryan Niblett, Jonah Wil- or not Jonah Wilson, Ryan Niblett and uh, John Tay Cook. Jonah Wilson's at Houston. Sorry. Yeah, you, you wish Bad it was Jonah Wilson. Yeah, I, I wish it was. <laughs> For Jalen Ford, where do you think 
his I haven't seen any mock drafts because obviously he didn't declare, but it felt like last year he was in that three, four, five range. And it felt like great run stopper. He had his moments where he had a little trouble in dropping back in pass coverage. I know he had a couple of big interceptions, namely against I believe Iowa State. He had one in the end zone. But he also had moments where I thought, Jeff, that he was kind of lost in space. Yeah, I, and you know, I, oh, my colleague on the Longhorn Blitz podcast, Rod Babers, and you hear Rod talk about stuff like this all the time on Bald on Life from 3 to 7, and Rod's right. All linebackers, to an extent, are a liability in coverage, right? Like, there's just some matchups where they're going to get exploited. I would think with another good year, Jalen Ford's probably in that second or third round range. I, I think he can make himself safe, safely a day two pick. I mean, to... I just, I mean, I know he's got good measurables. I just don't know if he's got the kind of measurables or has the kind of just straight line speed in terms of testing numbers that would get an off ball linebacker in the first round conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he can't get there. I, I just don't know. It's kind of a, the straight line speed is an unknown variable. But from a three star to where he's at now, the in, development's been incredible for in him. The, in the 2020 class, he was the lowest rated, lowest ranked member of the signing class. Sheesh. And one of the not only is he one of the few guys left standing, he's one of the guys in that class that you could definitely say is going to have a chance to play in the NFL. And again, it, it drives home the point: if you're a Power Five program in the state, and Utah gets a commitment from a defensive prospect in the state of Texas that you haven't offered or is off your radar, go back and watch the tape because you probably missed something that you shouldn't have missed. And by the way, you can probably go ahead and rip whoever you're. Northern Metroplex, <laughs> who's responsible for that part of the Metroplex because uh, Jalen Ford coming out of Frisco Lone Star, really productive player, but uh, Utah got in on, on him early. Again, credit Tom Herman and the Texas staff at the time for flipping him in December 2019 in that early signing window for the 2020 class, and that's been a take that's really paid off for Texas. I mentioned I teased running back. We'll get to some of that coming up next hour because we'll talk about Cedric Baxter Jr. and is Texas about to potentially get the number one running back in the country for the class of 2024? We'll get to all that coming up in hour two, but we've got to finish hour number one, how we finish hour number one each and every day here on Light the Tower. That's with a little inconceivable. We'll do that on the other side here on Light the Tower, on the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the Horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right. I always love when we get producer contributions at Inconceivable. And here with his latest, I yield the floor to Cameron Parker for a little Inconceivable from the golf course. So this involves um, Sergio Garcia and Roy McIlroy and the latest in the Live PGA Tour saga, Jeff. Live VPGA. Did you watch the first live event of the season? No, I did not. Okay. <laughs> did it's, I miss much? Uh, no. Um, the TV rating came in, drew a point two. Point two, Which is basically the same amount of people in the ARN compound right now. <laughs> so not a good start for Liv. Uh, also not a good start for any hope of Sergio and Roy McIlroy becoming friends again. So a little background. Now obviously Sergio, um, he's basically... A Texas ex by association. His wife played golf here, done a lot for the university. I believe he's a member at Spanish Oaks, UT Golf Club, yada, yada, yada. Great guy off the course. But right now, the live and PJ Tour stuff, and you might, depending on how you feel about Roy McElroy, Jeff, I'm not sure. Do you have a favorite golfer? Uh, other than Tiger? Yeah. No, not not particularly. I, I do uh I do I did kind of like the Brooks Kepka Bryson DeChambeau back and forth when okay. that was going on. I was entertained by that. But and they paid him off to just be friends again? Yeah, I don't have a problem with Rory, though. Okay. So, Sergio and Rory, they were 
Ryder Cup team members in the past. Uh, I believe Rory was in Sergio's wedding. Well, Rory's been very anti-Liv. Sergio plays for the Live Tour. And over the weekend, Sergio Garcia, before Friday's event, said that Roy McIlroy's lack of maturity ended our friendship. Now, the best part about this, Jeff, is Sergio Garcia possibly may be the most immature golfer of all time. Does this, a, does this stem from the whole Patrick Reed uh, golf tee incident? Not necessarily, okay. but Rory's been very uh, very vocal about how he feels about Liv and how he feels about Sergio and yeah. all the guys going over. And so obviously Sergio called him out for it, but it's funny because Sergio Garcia is notorious for having just meltdowns, meltdowns on the course. If you type Jeff, homework for the day, type <laughs> in Sergio Garcia meltdown on YouTube and you're going to have literally pages of him in the bunker, throwing his clubs, screaming, bashing. I mean, he had an incident at the WGC match play a few years ago where he, he four-putted because he kept messing the putt, and so he kept smashing his his putt at the hole. It goes on and on. So it's just ironic that Sergio Garcia is calling Roy McIlroy immature when Sergio Garcia is known for being possibly the biggest, uh, what's hot most hot-headed player in PJ Tour history. <laughs> I got you. This Correct me if I'm wrong. Sergio does the bit right where he'll adjust his gloves and his grip yes, and take like he is. He's gotten better at it. A good seven or eight minutes on the tee box. He's one of the more tougher players to watch. He's up there with uh, Patrick Cantley, where it's just like, is my TV frozen? Is it? Can you? Do you? Oh no! He, he just takes. What? 30 no seconds. more Garcia Parra is to baseball. <laughs> yes. Sergio Garcia is. Great to golf. comparison. Great comparison. That, it's annoyed me about no more so much. Like, dude, how many times do you need to adjust your gloves? Like, just step in the box and hit the freaking ball. All right, Cam. I've. Uh, you remember the uh, concept of getting the cauldron ready? Yes. You know, boil. Somebody needs to be boiled in oil and have their fat sold for soap. I need you to get the cauldron ready, Cameron. We're getting ready for Rogerio Santos da Silva. Ooh. Not to be confused with former Texas Tech basketball player Marcus Santos Silva. Uh, Rogerio Santos da Silva, age 36. Do you know what he's guilty of, Cameron? Mm, Something in the Fast and Furious? No. He was in line at a grocery store in Brazil when he got out of line, picked up a shopping cart, and hurled it at the woman in line behind him, hitting her in the head with it. The the close circuit video has gotten out, and it is one of like it is one of the most shocking closed circuit clips you'll ever see in your life. Uh, just ran the the attack happened on February sixteenth. Just randomly, it looks just as nonchalant as can be. The guy just kind of doop do doo gets out of line, picks up a shopping cart, and literally. Hurls it at the woman's head. Uh, knocked her unconscious for a little bit. The 45-year-old victim, who wished to remain anonymous, can be seen uh, you know, pushing her cart forward in the checkout line. Uh, but she's knocked to the floor as he throws the cart at her. She, You see her on the video. She collapses. Uh, the victim passed out before uh, she and she had to be placed in a wheelchair to be, to be moved out of the store, uh, to get her out of the store. Despite the savage supermarket attack, the woman miraculously did not suffer any serious injuries, but she told local media that the riled shopper did not seem to care if he caused her serious damage with his antics. The victim claimed she does not know Santos da Silva and did not even glance at him before the accident occurred. 
But Santos da Silva claimed he was taking revenge after she allegedly, quote-unquote, bullied him. Uh, the injured, shop, injured shopper vehemently denied his claims, insisting she was simply, quote, going about her duties, end quote, without any interaction with her attacker. She explained, quote, he started lying, saying that I cursed him in order to justify his violence, and nobody did anything. At no time did I curse him, nor did I say a word to this man, nor did I look at him in a way that could result in a misunderstanding. I was just following my life and going about my duties as an ordinary citizen, and this attack happened, end quote. Cam, I don't care what she said to him. There is nothing... That's going to constitute you as a man picking up a shopping cart and hurling it at anybody in line behind you, let alone a woman. What if she said Joe Montana is the greatest of all time? I might have just given her a dirty look, but I'm still okay. not hurling yeah. a shopping cart at her. Poor lady's just trying to buy some eggs. and she just in line, just going for a nice little stroll. Maybe it's kind of like when I like to do my shopping at HEB. Like I like to go weekdays in the middle of the afternoon. You know why? Nobody's at H E B in the middle of the afternoon. Was it a full size like H E B shopping cart? This looked like one of them one of them big joints you get at like Sam's or Costco. Oh man. Yeah, this look it looks like a like a bulk, you know, like we have Sam's Club or Costco, like your big bulk food yeah. stores. Yeah. That's what it looks like he picks up. This ain't like your standard, you know, just H E B cart. Like I said, it looks like one of them big joints. He just picks it up and just slings it right at her. WWE style. Yeah, Sheesh. for real. That's wild, man. Like I said, if you guys get a chance to get on the Twitter machine and check this thing out, uh, it is just one of the most disgustingly shocking videos you will watch today. Disgustingly shocking is what we strive for and inconceivable, and uh, that's going to do it for today's edition. Cameron, great contribution, by the way. I love when I can bring golf in. I know you're passionate about golf, so anytime we can let you talk golf, it's going to deliver in a big way. I hope hour number one delivered for everybody. Because hour number two is coming up next. More to go here on Let the Tower on the Horn. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.